0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So that's the series we're starting this morning, and we asked Carrie to come up because, first of all, she was the only person to actually put her name on her question, so... um... (laughs) That's probably why most of you remained anonymous. I don't know. Um, but the second reason for all of this is that we want people to know. We want to be the type of church where people can ask questions. Because very often in churches, you just kind of get the party line all the time and, and, and never seem to grapple with some of the questions. And we, we have them. And they carry over with us from time to time. And so one of the things that we've decided as a church is we want to be the type of church where people can come with their questions, with their doubts, and, and ask them. And that we will, we will deal with them and we'll face them head on. And, and so through the next 10 weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. And, and it's my hope, not just for you and your questions, but if you have friends like Carrie um, who have asked you those kinds of questions. You know, how do we know that Christianity is right religion? why Aren't they all the same? If you've got friends who are asking those kinds of questions, this is the series to invite them to. Tell them, hey, you know what? Our church, is, we're dealing the whole summer with those kinds of questions. And um, you can see online the number of questions that we're going to be doing, some in your program. So we've got a lot of really good questions from everybody. And uh, with this next couple of weeks, we're going to do some real he- heavy, heavy lifting. So um, <clears throat> we're going to roll up our sleeves. Uh, we're going to kind of get in here and get nitty-gritty. Now, here's the thing. When you deal with the kind of stuff, it's... It, it can get really academic and, and really just kind of dry and boring, and it can get really in-depth, and so I'm going to try and really kind of not be too academic, but, but deep enough that you can kind of take something to come home with. But what I really need from you, because this is going to be a lot of work, and we're going to be doing this all summer long, um, is that I really just need you to, to hang with me, okay? I need to know that you're with me this morning, all right? So you're with me? Yeah. All right, very good. So here we go. We're going to take the first question. Aren't religions all the same? aren't they all basically aren't they all just de- different paths that all get us to the same place? Now that sounds really, really good, um, And we'd like to believe that. And it's, it certainly fits very well in the United States, because we're a democracy, and everybody gets to vote on whatever they want, and it doesn't matter anyway. So it sounds really good and very tolerant and very democratic, but anybody who is a serious follower a devotee of any religion will tell you, "No, there's differences. And the differences really do matter. Now, <clears throat> that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that there aren't commonalities. And we can appreciate the commonalities that we have, but there are some distinctives. C.S. Lewis, great um, 20th century um, theologian, apologist for the faith, he wrote these words. He said, if you're a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. If you're an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point of all religions in the whole world is simply one huge mistake. But if you're a Christian, you are free to think that all those religions, even the strange ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an an atheist, I I had to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered the most. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. That it's a Christian, you don't have to necessarily believe that every other religion is 100 percent false, because there are these commonalities. So this morning we're going to take a look at in what way are re- world's religions the same, but what makes Christianity distinct? What makes our faith different than all others? So um, hang, on, hang with me, and we're going to take the first one is that all religions, all religions, share a sense of the divine. Okay, a sense. Now they don't always even use the word God. Um, there's, but there is a belief that there is something beyond this world. They all share the sense of divine, but not all have the same concept of God. See, all religions have this sense of the transcendence—that there is something more than just this life. That there is there is a greater reality, if you will. Something beyond what we can see, taste, touch, feel, all of those things. That there is something different. And, and, and that shouldn't surprise us. If you look at the book of Romans, Paul gives some really good explanation for all of that. Um, Romans 1.20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made. Said so anybody who looks around at creation says there's got to be a creator to this thing. And, and so there's this sense of the divine. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, all religions have a part of that truth. That there is something more than this life and what we can sense. Now, they define it in all kinds of different ways. And here's what sometimes... um, That's what this idea that, well, they all lead to the same place anyway. They're all kind of describing the same thing, and nobody really knows what's true. And and you may have heard this illustration before, that um, it's sometimes used, the the, the illustration of of five blind men um, who are led to an elephant. And each are at a different part of the elephant, and each is there to describe what the elephant is. And so the first um, takes hold of the tail and says... well, an elephant is like a rope. You know, it's, it's long, it's skinny, it's stringy. It, it, an elephant is like a rope. And then there's another blind man, and he says, no, 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 because he's holding the leg. And he says, no, an elephant an elephant is a pillar. It's a strong column. And another was holding the trunk and says, no, 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 no. You both have it wrong. An elephant is more like a snake. It's wiry. It moves and everything. And, and another is against the side of the elephant. He says, no, no, you guys are all wrong. An elephant is, is broad. It's, it's like the side of a barn. It's huge. And and the illustration is, everyone is seeing, or not seeing, feeling a part of the elephant. So they are all correct, but they are all wrong at the same time. And sometimes that argument is used to say, well, then all religions, they're just seeing a part of the truth. But no one has the whole truth. Now, here's the problem with that argument. The problem with that argument is that there is somebody who is not blind... Who does see the whole elephant that can tell everybody that they're wrong. You see? And for somebody to say, well, it's wrong for you to bring your religion to other people. That in itself begs the question. Because for you to tell me I'm wrong to get somebody to believe what I believe. Then what you're doing is the exact same thing. You're wrong telling me that it's wrong to tell somebody else. You're trying to persuade me to your end. See, it's more than just each has a part of the truth. Because even when you get to a description of God, they don't all talk about the same thing. If you were to ask a Buddhist, there is no personal God. There is no personal God. There's no belief in a personal God. A Hindu would tell you, we are all a part of God. That God composes and animates the universe in the same way that you and I animate our bodies. And if there was no universe, there would be no God. Because the universe itself is God. Now, that is very, very different than what most, for lack of a better term, Western religions would teach. Because if you look at Judaism, Islam, Christianity, they say, no, 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 there is a personal God. And he is not creation. He doesn't exist because creation exists. He is the creator God. Now, those are two very, very contrasting views. So how can those two, in fact, they are so contrasting that they are incompatible. And one cannot be true and its opposite be true as well. Because they are so incompatible that they don't even fit in the same box. And so Christianity, Islam, and Judaism would say, no, 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 there's a personal God. There's a God who is creator God. And he stands outside of his creation. And he is involved in his creation, but he is not the creation itself. And that's a very, very, very different thing than what Eastern religions, most Eastern religions teach. And then Christianity takes it one step further. And here's where Christianity stands apart from all others. Christianity teaches that God himself has come in the flesh. That Jesus Christ was God incarnate. God himself took on humanity in its fullest form. And no other religion teaches that. If you were to go to the Buddha and say, are you the Brahma? He would say, my son, you are still living under the veil. <laughs> you have not been enlightened. If you were to ask Muhammad, are you the incarnation of Allah? He would call you an infidel and probably lop off your head. Okay? Because there's no sense of that. Only in Christianity are we taught that God took on human form. Now that is entirely unique. That is a difference that cannot be reconciled with any other. So either that is true and the others are not, or it isn't completely false and we're just we're crazy. And Jesus was simply a madman. You see, they don't fit together. So to make this claim that all religions are basically the same, they are not. They share a common, a common sense of the divine, if you will. But very, very different explanations of what that is or who that is. Making sense? They're the, the same, but not entirely. A second distinctive. That all religions share a sense of morality. But not all have the same rationale behind it. That all religions have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. That there is good and there is evil. That we all agree that there is some sort of an ethical standard. That there is a right, that there is a wrong. That there is good and there is evil. Now, that's not entirely true because some Eastern religions would, would go so far as to say, well, there's no true evil because there is a good side to evil. There's a yin and a yang, you know. Um, there is not all, all true good. There is a dark side to all good. And so they're, 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 they're separate, but they're not fully distinct. But most religions would say there is some kind of a standard of behavior, some morality, some ethics that we ought to be uh, living up to. In fact, if you look at all the major world religions, they have eight commandments in common. Every religion teaches a version of eight of the Ten Commandments that you and I might know or may not know in fact every major religion every major religion has some version of the golden rule do unto others as you would have others do unto you every major religion carries that there is a sense of morality and again we shouldn't be surprised because that's something that is deeply ingrained on us that's what God has put in our hearts That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2. When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Now, Paul says, this isn't just man's idea. The reason we all share this sense of morality, the reason we have it in common, we might be a little fuzzy on the details. We might have disagreements about how that all works out. But the reason that we have that isn't just because we made it up. Because God has written it on our hearts That's where that that sits God put it there And so he says Their conscience now bearing witness And their thoughts now accusing And even defending them That we have this sense of moral oughtness That there is a right And there is a wrong John Ortberg writes about this He says one of the ways that you can tell this Is the way that people argue Because you have people who will say things like, well, I do more than my fair share around this house, and it's time that you do some of the chores. And those people would be called husbands and wives, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, they will, or, or you will hear arguments like, he got a bigger piece of pie than I did, and how come his curfew was later than mine, and how come he got to be... Out? And, and that's just not right. That's not fair. And we call those people brothers and sisters, yeah. Or they say things like, you know... I am severely overworked in this job, and I am underpaid, and I deserve a raise. And we call those people unemployed, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Because we have this sense of, when we, when we argue, we don't say, well, I'm bigger and I'm better, so you got to do what I say. When we argue, we argue from the senses there's things that are fair, there are things that are right, and it's inside of all of us, this sense of rightness and fairness, That's what God has put on our heart. And that's why you find in all religions this common morality. There are standards. There there is right. There is wrong. Every religion has that. And every religion will agree nobody lives up to the standard. Dinesh D'Souza in his book, Uh, What's So Great About Christianity, says, Mankind has very high standards but is constantly falling short of them. And that's the truth. We know what is right and wrong. But we don't always do what is right. And we sometimes do what is wrong. We share a common morality. But now see, not all religions have the same rationale behind it. In Eastern religions, the rationale, it's a little fuzzy. Um, But it has to do with this whole idea that, that we are in the process of working ourselves to a greater and higher level of enlightenment and consciousness. And, and, uh, and so in this life, you are paying the price for the life before. And there is this thing called karma. And so if you live a good life in this life, you get a better life in the next one. And you're working your way to a higher enlightenment. In Buddhism, that would be that you completely devoid yourself from the self. That you deny all, all, um, all desires. And, and that you, you finally get to the point where you are beyond yourself. You are enlightened. Now, again, that is very, very different than, than Western religions of Judaism or, or Islam or Christianity. Because in, in those religions, they say, no, 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 no. The reason there is a right and a wrong is because God put it there. And the reason that we live rightly and don't live wrongly is because we are ultimately accountable to this God. See, that we're not working ourselves to another incarnation of a better life. Or a higher enlightenment. It is because we are responsible to God. God has put this law on our hearts. God has set the standard. God has given the commands. God has told us how to live. And ultimately we are accountable to this personal creator law giving God. Two very, very incompatible things. You can't say that all these religions are going in the same direction. Because they have very different goals in the end. So we say this is, this, these are not the same. In the Western religions, we believe that there's a personal God to whom we are accountable to. Now, I've got to share this with you because sometimes I'm... You know, I'm doing my study or then I have to go on an appointment or I'm going home to lunch or something. So while I'm in my car, you know, I'm constantly pondering over all these things. And and certain ideas come to my mind when I'm kind of away from the books and I'm driving along. And so I've got this app on my iPhone um, where I can take dictation so I can, you know, just record um, my thoughts as I think of them. And it'll send an email to my inbox and I can get back to it when I get back to the office. And so this kind of idea came to me um, as I was thinking and pondering this whole thing. And I thought about, well, it's because... As as believers, we're we're accountable to this personal God. So I took out my iPhone, I typed in this app, and this is what it sent to me in the email. Western religion believes in a gap in a dog we are accountable to. When I got back to my office, I go, what? (laughs) But see, that's, that's a very big distinction. Those are two very, very different ideas of where our morality comes from. That we are accountable to God. And the answer, the answer is not to escape this life and find another better life. The answer is to, to, to be accountable to God. That, that something needs to change. And here we come to the third distinctive of, of Christianity. While in all religions we share this belief of consequences... Not all religions share the same solution to the problem. See, all religions believe in this sense that, okay, there is a right and a wrong, and we do not live up to that standard. And so what do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our moral failings? What do we do with those things that we know we do that we shouldn't be doing, or the the good that we don't do that we know we should be doing? What do we do with it when we fall short of that, of that thing? Because there's got to be consequences, see? Because for right and wrong to have any, any meaning whatsoever, that there's got to be consequences to, to not doing right or by doing wrong. And again, we would all agree on that. And we would agree there is a cutoff point here. At some point, you've done a lot of wrong. And so we'd say, like people like Hitler, we certainly wouldn't want him in the heaven, or Stalin, or Pol Pot, or, or some of these dictators that have massacred thousands of their own people. Certainly, there's got to be consequences for that. It's got to be. And so we all believe, yeah, there's got to be a cutoff point here. Some, something's got to be done about this problem. And what we do is, we're all willing to admit we're not perfect, we're just a little bit better than the next guy, See? And that's kind of the way that we do it. Um, it it's, it's, it's judgment by, by comparison. I heard a story this week. Uh, two brothers, uh, they were together in business. And just mean, ornery business guys. And just lie, cheat, steal, whatever you know, whatever they could do. They were just horrible guys. And one of the brothers died. And so the surviving brother went to the pastor and he says, You know, I don't care what you do at the funeral, but I want you to mention somewhere that my brother was a saint. And and he says, I've got a lot of money, so I'll pay you. So, you know, the pastor's got kind of this moral quandary, you know. I'm going to get a lot of money if I do this funeral, but how do I reconcile, you know, and speak the truth? And so at the funeral, um, what he decided to do was he got up and he said, This man was a liar, he was a cheat, he was a miser, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Judgment by comparison. See, that's the way we do it in our own minds. I may not be perfect, but I'm better than the next guy. And we would all agree down here at the bottom is, is guys like Hitler and Stalin and, and those kinds of guys. And, and certainly maybe up at the top would be, you know, Billy Graham or, or Mother Teresa, you know. And, and certainly we're not down at the bottom part. You know, we're, most of us, we're like, we're right up here. We're not, no, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Mother Teresa. But, I'm, you know, I'm not too far away. That doesn't solve the problem. Because the problem is, what do you do with the guilt? What do you do with the moral failings? Now, again, in other religions, there's all kinds of different things of, of doing this. In Eastern religions, you deny the self. You, you, you put away pleasure. Pleasure. You put away um, all those things that you would pursue, those desires. And through meditation, you let go of all of those things and become enlightened. In Western religions, again, there is a God we are accountable to. And, and so, in, in most Western religions, it's well, okay. So, here is a code of conduct that you've got to live up to, these are the commands. And so you've got to obey the commands. The problem is, again, we still fall short. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans 3. He says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. He says, that's not good enough. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And in Romans 6, he says, then the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. He said, we're all guilty and the law won't get us there because all the law can do is show us where we're guilty. It can't do anything about our guilt. And the ultimate end to our guilt, Paul says in Romans 6, is death. Eternal separation from God. That, that's the outcome. See, most all religious systems have a, a, a way in which you're supposed to improve yourself. There's a way in which you are trying to get become a better person. That it's, it's the moral improvement method. And Christianity is very, very different from that. And this is a distinctive that is unique to Christianity. It's the second half of that sentence. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the third unique aspect of Christianity and the most important. Because what Christianity says is, you can't be good enough. And no effort of self-improvement, moral improvement, ethical improvement, no trying harder will ever earn you the forgiveness that you need. That God has done something different. See, in Christianity, we're told Jesus was God become a man. That's unique to all other religions. And this personal God lived a human life totally pleasing, totally righteous, without fault, without sin. And that, again, is unique, unique to any other religion. And that because he had no sin of his own, and in his humanity, he remained pure and righteous, and in his divinity, he had the power of God. He was able to take upon Himself the punishment for your sin and mine, for your guilt and mine, for your moral failures and mine, and He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is unique to Christianity from any other religion. Because Christianity says, there's no way out of this hole on your own. You cannot possibly be good enough. See, all other religions... I'm trying to earn my way to a better standing with God. That my spirituality becomes how much better I can be. And that's why, for instance, because sometimes people say, you know, but I know some Buddhists who are a lot better behaved than some Christians that I know. And that will be true. Unfortunately, that will be true. But you see, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, we know we can't be good enough. Now, that shouldn't stop us from wanting to become more and more like Christ. But we understand that's not how we get to our final destination. We find eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. Because only He was God become man, who lived the sinless, perfect life, and paid a price for my sin, so that I could be forgiven. Wages of sin is death. Jesus died. Not because he had sin of his own, but for you and for me. And that, that is exclusively Christianity. Romans 5. When we were still, still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, he demonstrated his own love for us. See, this was God's initiative. This was God's love. This was not me trying to make myself a little bit more lovable to God. It was strictly His from beginning to end. His own love sent His Son to pay that price for me. And that is uniquely distinctive to Christianity. Christianity teaches I cannot fix up my own life. I cannot. I will never be good enough. I need someone to do this for me. Someone else to fix me. And that is the exclusive claim of Christianity. And it's not a set of beliefs. It's trust in a person. And that's different. It's not just following teachings. It's trusting in someone. And that's what makes it distinct. Now, let me give you a few practical considerations when it comes to all of this. First, for those of us who call ourselves believers, Christ followers... Followers of this man, God, Jesus Christ. Here's a couple of things. Affirm the common ground that you have with people of other faiths. Sometimes Christians can be the most rude, obnoxious people. With the sense that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. No, no, no. Start affirming the commonalities that you have with people of other faiths. And in fact, work together for the good of community, for the good of this world. For different motivations, maybe from other other people's faith. But for us, it's to bring in the kingdom of God to this world as best we can. Thy kingdom come. So we work alongside and we care for the needy and we stand for justice because there is a God that we are answerable to. Affirm those commonalities and then articulate your faith when you do. Not just by your words, but by your actions and by your behavior. And do it with humility. If there is any set of people, if there is any religious followers that ought to be the most humble, it ought to be Christians. Because we understand we don't deserve any of this. This is not what we have done. We are not superior to anyone else. We are simply recipients of the grace of God. And we ought to understand that to the depths of our being. And we ought to be the most humble, loving, caring people in this world. Because we know we have been given a gift that we didn't deserve. So declare your faith. But do it with humility. And not just with words. But by your life. By your behavior. By your actions. Secondly. If you're here this morning and you're still uncertain, consider yourself maybe a seeker of truth. You're not you're not sure yet. I would just ask you two things. First, determine to keep your heart open. Keep your heart open. Don't 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 close your mind and close your heart to the possibility and the claims of Jesus Christ. And, and I pray that you would continue to come back. If you're still in that deciding mode, if you're still in that uncertain mode, I pray that you would come back through every one of these. And, and let's, let's tackle these questions together. And we will do our best to give in. I'm not going to promise we're going to solve all the world's problems. But we will do our best to help you understand better. And all I would ask is, if you're in that deciding process, that you would just determine to keep your heart open. And, and your prayer would just simply be, God, I'll be open. If you have something for me, I want to find you. And that's the second part. Seriously pursue your search for God. Because these questions do matter. They matter about life. They matter about death. They matter about purpose and meaning in life. They matter about eternity. So these are important questions. Do not just write them off. And if you are not a believer, if you're still in that investigating process, at least determine to keep your heart open And secondly, to pursue it with all your heart and find the answers to the questions that you're looking for. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.